What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode number 74 of the Anthony John Amix podcast. And today, I wanted to bring on a guy I met back in January of 2020, back in Kona, Hawaii, to talk about like how personal development changed his life and how it's really allowed him to overcome failures and mistakes. So if you've ever wondered if investing into your own journey of personal development and self-transformation is worth it, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amix podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, welcome back. Now, before I bring on today's guest, I want to let you know about a free training I've put together. I like to call it Core Power, how entrepreneurs are using mindset, skill set, and body set to break through to the next level of success. And you can learn all about it and grab your spot for free by going to trainingwithaj.com. Now, the really cool thing is when you register for the training, you get instant access to it. So you don't have to like sit around and wait for it or wait for some time or anything like that. Like you just get instant access. So make sure you go to trainingwithaj.com to register for that training if you'd like to learn the ancient secrets to breaking through to your next level of freedom, purpose, and success. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. His name is Nicholas Gaduas. I probably totally butchered his last name. Nick, I'm sorry, homie. But I'll let you know he's a super cool dude. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a business owner. And like he's just like an, an incredibly open and caring man. Like He's created some massive shifts in the cannabis industry, and over the past few years, he's dove headfirst into improving himself as a man. So I invited him to come onto the show because I knew the guy would be open and willing to share his journey with you, and I thought, well, it may inspire you to really like lean into and face some of your own edges of growth and expansion. So with that being said, let's bring on today's guest. Here we are. Nick, what's up, brother? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, dude, I'm excited to chat with you, man. I want to talk about like how personal development can change your life. I know you've been like going through some, some cool transformations. I want to dive into that. You and I first connected um, in Kona back in, in January. And uh, I told the story of the biking. I forgot what episode. Um, but you've had a major, major impact on me with some of the stories that you shared with me. Um, and maybe we'll get into that. We'll see where this goes. But uh, like, what cool things are you working on right now, man? Oh, well, right now I'm on the island of Maui. Shortly after we met and I returned to California, I decided to fast track the relocation of my family back to Maui where I lived for years prior. I had done about five years on Maui, four and a half years on Maui, and then two years back in California trying to uh, launch a new business that I was stepping into. And I just felt like the timing was right to shift again and come back to Maui where I, I feel very much at home and very much supported um, by the culture here, the community, the environment, the spaciousness, the proximity to a multicultural community that is inclusive. And yeah, it just, I felt like it was the right time. My daughter was uh, really missing it. This was really home for her. And my son had never experienced Hawaii being born on the mainland shortly after we moved back to California. So 
being in Hawaii again, being on the big island with you guys, and then coming back to Maui for a visit. It just, when I stepped foot off the plane onto Maui and that tropical breeze hit my body, I, I knew in my heart that it was time to come back and really come back to Maui um, with, a, with a different set of goals and with um, a more humble heart than I had, I had shown up with the first time. Mm. A lot of, you'll hear this often when people describe moving to Hawaii. Hawaii will either embrace you and hold you or it will kick you in the shins and leave you fleeing for your life. Uh, so my first experience was a mix of that. <laughs> the current situation that I'm in right now, my, my current, the current way that I'm navigating life has uh, been much more conducive to a mellow experience here in Hawaii. And uh, I feel like I arrived this time. I, I didn't just buy a ticket and show up. I had very clear intentions and a enhanced level of respect for the culture and the land and, and uh, its remote location. Just, uh, yeah, I've learned to respect Hawaii and the culture and the gift of being able to be here at this point in my life. Nice. In a, in a lot deeper, a lot deeper level. What are some of your goals now that you're back on the, on, in Maui? Like you said, you have different goals this time. What are some of those goals? My goal, one of my goals, well, it's a large nuanced group of goals, <laughs> but one of my main goals is to put my family first and put their experiences and their flow through life at the top of my to-do list when I get up in the morning. I try to consider my family's experience with myself included, um, uh, you know. I try to put that first and I, I try to make the choices that will enhance their experience. And I've been such a workaholic over my adult life, over the course of my adult life that um, I ended up putting people second to my goals. And I found lately that the more I consider my effect on others, whether that be positive or negative or neutral, um, the the easier my flow is when I kind of take myself out of the driver's seat, so to speak a little bit and just let my family and our kind of collective goals and our collective flow really be the current that I'm navigating in. Not that I can't steer my ship within that current, but really let that current flow and feel the momentum of that current and trust that that current is taking me where I ultimately should be. Mm. What were some of the business that's engaged? Stuff? What were some of the business stuff that you're doing uh, prior? Oh, well, I was in California 
and uh, I was working in the cannabis industry. Awesome. And it is a cutthroat business, and it takes 110% of your focus and really more time than any human has to spare. So it was during the time where the industry was transitioning from a medical framework into a recreational framework, which means that there was a lot more bureaucratic load to the industry. You have states coming in that want to, you know, heavily tax it. We got all kinds of new industries popping up around it. So it really became, frankly, too much for me, too much for me to navigate. I felt like I was really sacrificing my quality of life to chase really an undefined goal. Mm. It was just, it was this, it was this goal that was way, way out. And I just, I had to just get real with myself and understand that I have a finite amount of time on this earth to achieve whatever it is I set out to achieve. And I should get really damn clear with myself as to what that is. So when I sat myself down and asked myself the hard questions, Hey Nick, what's important to you? You have a child. I had a new child at the time. So my daughter, Olivia was a, about four months old at this time. And we had a traumatic experience with her. We were living out on my land, beautiful, you know, hundred acres, beautiful, like picturesque redwoods, really the type of life that people dream about growing our own food, being responsible for our own income, being a, a part of a really cool dynamic community that was changing really fast for better or worse. Um, so I was, uh, living in yurts at the time, we had this completely like built out yurt village. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with yurts, it's like a, like a it's a round tent. Yeah, they're really yeah. cool, man. They're, they're amazing. They're really cool. They're really, really cool. So we were we were doing, you know, four season living out there. We'd been out homesteading for a decade at this point. Um, I've I've been with my my wife 18 years this year. So we were about 13 years into our relationship at this point. Our first child came along. I was still very much focused on work. It was just a normal morning. We were all up in our loft co-sleeping with my then, you know, whatever, two and a half month old daughter. And at that point, you know, kids, they're just like these little slugs. They don't really have autonomous movement. They can kind of stay in one place and, and wiggle around and do their thing. Right. Well, this morning she's lying in between my wife and I, and we're up in our loft, as I said, which is about six feet off of the ground, um, hardwood floors. And she did this little ninja roll. And she ended up falling from our loft six feet onto the hardwood floor. And I was laying there in the first 30 seconds of waking into my day. And I was already into my to-do list. I was already checked out from my family. I hadn't even been up for, a, for 60 whole seconds. Hadn't even lifted my head off the pillow. And instead of laying there and admiring my beautiful daughter, my, this beautiful new life that I created with this wonderful woman that I love. I was on my to-do list. 
not appreciating my beautiful property that I built from nothing, not appreciating all the gifts that I had been given in my life, not appreciating my financial freedom. I was thinking about what I had to do that day. And I could have easily lost this amazing, innocent, little, beautiful human whose name is Olivia. And I heard her hit the ground. I heard her hit my hardwood floors. And I didn't hear a sound out of her. And at that point, something fundamentally changed in my system. And it was like a, a, a lightning strike. And my perspective on life changed. I wasn't sure what that change was. I had no, I, I had no idea what it, what it was going to look like or how it was going to feel or how it was going to change my life financially, logistically, socially, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew that I needed to do something. I was an hour and a half drive from the hospital. Luckily, after about 20 seconds, she started to cry. I mean, I, I bailed off the top of this loft and had her in my arms. And I drove this wildly windy two-lane country highway an hour and a half to the hospital. And all I could think about is how checked out I was and how checked in I wanted to be. Aside from the obvious, like, holy shit, I hope my daughter's going to be okay. Sure. And um, less than three months later, we were signing a lease on our first home on Maui. Hmm. That evening, after I had gotten all the assurances that I could get from the medical community, the rural medical community. In Hawaii or in California? No, in California. In California. So that, that night, yeah, that, on, that, on that evening of the, of the accident we had with Olivia, I started trying to figure out where I wanted to be. I knew I didn't want to be where I was because I knew if I stayed in Humboldt County that I would be drawn back into my workaholic nature because that's, that's all I knew how to do there is just be in the cannabis industry, whether I was directly cultivating or consulting. That's what I did. It, it was my life. So I knew I had to fundamentally change things. I didn't decide to walk away from the cannabis industry 100%, but I knew I needed to change my relationship with the industry. And I knew I needed to change the relationship with myself and change the conversation that I have with myself. Because I think that we all have these internal dialogues where we, we'd like to think that we're asking ourselves the hard questions, but generally we're throwing softball pitches at it at ourselves and we're just, we're throwing the easy slow pitches that are easy to hit. And we're not really challenging ourselves. And I, I knew I needed to challenge myself to step out of my comfort zone and step into something new. And the catalyst for that was a deep longing to be present for my family where I hadn't been present before. 
So that was really the catalyst that has brought me to this work, quote unquote, this work, you know, men's work and, you know, personal embodiment, whatever you want to call it, you know, I see it as just really having honest conversations with yourself and opening your heart and your mind and your eyes to the beautiful potential that we're gifted when we are born into this world. Yeah. It's a good way to put it, man. Yeah. And so many of us take that infinite potential for granted. Totally. And not, not, you know, not by any fault of our own for the most part, but it's just, it's, it's part of being a modern human is we almost immediately start getting put into boxes and being told what we can do, what we can't do, who we are, who we aren't. And for the most part it's bullshit. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, we, I'm, we, we are living supercomputers of infinite ability. We, we really are amazing creatures, amazing entities of potential and love and understanding. And we get super jaded at a really early age and it just kind of exponentially builds. <laughs> Not only do we get jaded, it's like our culture conditions us. Um, oh, absolutely. To strive. Like my wife and I, you know, our, our daughter is 19 months old now. So she's getting into this like fit phase and it's driving us bonkers. So <laughs> we hired a, a parenting coach. It's what we do. It's like, yeah, problems and hire a coach, collapse some time. <laughs> yep. And so yep. we're, we're working with Dr. Tiffany Noonan, who's amazing with Epic Parenting. And what was I reading? As, yeah, she was telling me, it's like when you give children like in school, because I remember this like in kindergarten, like if you do your homework, you get the gold star, right? You get the gold star. And what that's doing is it's setting the child up to learn how to get acceptance through like performance. Like if I, if yep. I perform, then I, and it just reinforces at a subconscious level, this whole idea that I call the success equation. I'm worthy of acceptance, love, independence, whatever. When I have X, Y, or Z, or when I become A, B, or C, and most people are running that whole equation when the truth is there's no fucking equation. Like you're worthy because you could be a fucking rock. Like you're worthy because you're a human. Welcome to the game. There's nothing else to do from there. So we've become really aware, like, okay, well, we'll celebrate some things, but we're not going to like push to like gold star this and do this and that. So it's been a really kind of an interesting journey for us here in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, teaching our children to outsource their sense of belonging and their sense of success to gold paper star stickers. Yeah. It's not really a, a great lesson at all. And when you frame it that way, it's just funny. Like, it's just funny. It really is, man. And, you know, I think I'm so glad you brought this up because I think the outsourcing, the personal outsourcing of your power and your sense of belonging and your, your sense of manifestation is a huge issue in our culture. Big time. We are taught from a very early age to outsource damn near everything that really matters yeah. outside of ourselves. And 
resourcing ourselves and understanding that we are super powerful and creative and we're the masters of manifestation on this planet is really the key to unlocking potential yeah. and kind of letting yourself off the hook a bit, you know, and, and, totally. and relieving yourself of the gold star stress. Yeah. Fuck the gold stars. <laughs> I don't need your gold stars, man. You have a whole drawer of gold stars. They mean nothing, you know, yeah. like, Oh, well that guy got a silver star. Am I supposed to not talk to him now? He's like less than me. Like what about the guys that don't get any stars? Like they're worth something. Right. But our culture and our society tells us that, man, if you don't have a massive collection of gold stars, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And, and that is, there's bullshit. no, there's always somebody who has more gold stars than you. <laughs> totally. Totally. I can go on eBay and buy a million gold stars right now and literally paper the inside of my house with gold stars. If I want to, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything when everything can be bought. When I can go out and pay somebody to do damn near anything in life, really to me, your own personal development becomes the real gold star. Yeah. And, you know, the only gold stars that I want are the ones that I can produce myself. Yeah. One of the questions we asked my daughter, she loves like, you know, we'll do a diaper thing and we'll ask her to put it in the trash can. So she'll go put it in the trash can. And so once she does, we'll just ask her a single question, which is like, hey, are you proud of yourself for putting it in the trash can? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, awesome. And so like just that one simple question teaches her to like source her own well-being, her own joy, yep. her own proudness. And sometimes she doesn't even respond. Right? Okay. So no yeah. gold star needed. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like, uh, so we, we, our son is potty trained. He's not even two years old. And we did it with no gold stars, no stickers, no nothing, man. Just like positive reinforcement. Like, man, you're doing, a, you're doing a really great job. And we're really proud of you. And you're brilliant. And like, you can do anything you want. Look at you. You're, you can't even talk and you don't need diapers anymore. And the world is your oyster, man. Like, this, this, is, this reality is yours to make whatever you want it. And, and this, he sits there and he absorbs it. And I, I don't need him to come back and be like, yeah, bro, you're such a great parent. Thanks for, thanks for potty training me so early. Like I don't need his gold stars. Like just me knowing that I'm showing up for my family and I feel like I'm making these short-term decisions that achieve my short-term goals to where I can check that off whatever list that may or may not exist <laughs> and move forward. That is, it, I, I get so much juice from that and so much fire from that. And just knowing that I work for my children and I am borrowing this world from the next generation, just knowing that I'm, I can leave some sort of positive mark on their lives moving forward fills me with just an immense amount of gratitude for the lessons I'm learning via the framework of fatherhood. It really is a, 
deeply fulfilling experience. One that I never thought I was going to have. I, you know, in my twenties and thirties, you know, I'm the, you know, call me uncle Nick. Don't ever call me daddy Nick. I don't want to be a dad. I come from a, a broken childhood of abuse and divorces and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like so many of us have, it's just, I just get so much joy from being a present father. And I am thankful that I had an impactful experience that broke me out of my tunnel vision. Yeah. My personal goal, tunnel vision, my to-do list, me, my, me, I, what I want to do. Ugh. There's, there was nothing there for me. It was just like, yeah, man, like I, there's a million things on my to-do list. I'm never going to be done with this thing. I just had to crumple it up and throw it in the fire. Mm. And she's like, dude, I'm never going to do one of those again. Mm. Like, what am I, what do I need to do today to be a good father and be present for my family and not, you know, end up in a shelter with them or something. You know, we all have our business. We all have, we all got to make our money. You know, I'm not a trust fund kid. I don't have <laughs> wealth back down generations. I was never given anything. So yeah, you know, they, they, it's the balance between being present for yourself and your life and having those honest conversations with yourself that drive your heart goals. And then there's the other side of the equation, which is like, okay, man, like, what do I need to do to navigate life and live in a level of abundance or financial security that serves me and what I want to do as a person. I'm not serving the, the to-do list. The to-do mm -hmm. list is there to serve me, yeah. not the other way around. So how do you find that balancing act? Because I don't know if there's a such thing as balance to the game of presence and the game of prosperity. So how do you maintain that balancing act between those, those two forces, being present with your family and then also being prosperous as a man in the game inside of business? Being honest with myself about where I fail is, a, is one of the main um, kind of trail markers that, that are, that I try to look for, you know, patting yourself on the back for your successes is easy. You, you, can, you can wear your arm out doing that, but patting yourself on the back, being present for your failures, it's a much harder thing to do in my opinion. So I tend to focus more on my failures and how to navigate them without beating myself up than I do on my successes. Tell me more about that. Um, what do you mean by that? Understanding that there's two sides to the equation, that it's really hard to identify your successes if you're ignoring your failures, because there has to be, there has to be a balance there. You know, you have to, you have to have that polarity at least in my life. Um, so I believe in skillfully navigating failure to arrive in success and arrive in abundance. Because it's when you're at the top of the, 
top of the game, it's really easy to just dance around through your successes. You know, you're filled up with your success. You're financially stable. You got people who are looking to you as a leader and as an inspiration. When you're navigating your failures, you really have to be aware of what you're doing and you have to be sure footed in that process. Um, because it's a dark place navigating your failures, you know, what does navigating failures look like for me? It's first of all, understanding when you're failing and like sitting in my yurts and hearing my baby girl hit a hardwood floor, understanding that I am fucking failing at that point and knowing what that looks like and knowing what that feels like. But, and it, and it crushed me for a while. It really did. And I wasn't navigating that failure um, skillfully. Were I was just, letting it, were you just I was letting it shame? spin off. Were you just in blame? Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of blame and shame. And, okay. and it was, it was, dredging up like all my past failures and it was just turning into this this like torture chamber of self-loathing and I was kind of disgusted with myself so like hey man you know inner critic was just running the show essentially oh totally yeah he was like the volume on my inner critic was cranked up he was in my face out in front of me and really we were fighting for the wheel of my ship we were okay. fighting for the for the for the authority to navigate my life mm. i was giving my authority to my critic and that's a dangerous game to play i think the inner critic is useful but at a distance and understanding that you control the volume level of that critic. Yeah. yeah, my favorite illustration of that, it's like you're the driver in the front seat and the inner critic's in the back seat. And oftentimes, most people are letting the inner critic be the back seat driver. Turn left, turn right, do this. You didn't yep. do it. Rather than just being like, I hear you. Thank you. You can be quiet yep. now. I'm good. <laughs> I'm in control. Yep. Yeah, if he gets too loud, I lock him in the trunk. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And dude, there's and, a time uh, and place sometimes that I've found too where the inner critic gets so loud. And rather than maybe locking him in the trunk, maybe we just pull the car over on the side of the road and have out. a conversation. <laughs> and maybe it requires a hug because it's just that part of me throwing a temper tantrum that just needs to yeah. be seen. And if I'll see it, then he'll usually sit down and be quiet. Yeah, not to get too cliche here, but when my wounded child and my inner critic team up yeah. and come at me, yeah. that's when I feel the most triggered, like the Don't most like internally triggered, you know? Yeah. And so ah, being able to have real honest conversations with those two internal presences while you are navigating a failure, while you are walking mm -hmm. through that fire of failure and trying to pick up whatever little hidden treasures exist within that paradigm, that conversation between those entities I, is, is really what navigating it skillfully ends up being. 
is, is listening to those parts of yourself and having those conversations and being able to stand firm in yourself and be able to hear those conversations, but still make decisions from a resourced embodied place, you know, where you are considering, but you're not letting these internal entities steal the show. You're not letting them take the wheel, you know, you're not letting them pull over the car and kick you out and let them, and they keep, they drive away off into the sunset somewhere with your life. Yeah. And you're standing on the side of the road wondering <laughs> what the hell just happened, you know? <laughs> um, Dude, how did you make this transition? How did you go from being ran by your to-do list, being super tunnel visioned, all about you, not being pres- super present with your family, just kind of being there? How did you, like, what has it been like over the past five to seven years for you to kind of start unraveling this? Has it just been like reading books? Was it going to seminars? I mean, I know you and I connected in, in, um, in Hawaii, I, I don't know if that was one of your first experiential events or not. The first. Okay, that was cool. my very first quote unquote men's group experiential deep dive, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I've been kind of like treading water up until that point, mm. knowing that I want to do something, knowing that I need to change. But I, the way I was doing it is I kept trying to change my environment. Well, if I just go here, things will be different. If I just go there, things will be different. If I don't, if I don't hang out with these types of people anymore, things will be different. So that, all that, 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 that's a flawed set of assumptions. This essentially you're trying to externally produce the thing that you were seeking, right? This is a different, exactly. different same game that you're playing with the gold stars, but just like silver stars this time <laughs> instead of gold yeah. stars or platinum stars instead of gold stars. Yeah. So, so my, my wife was doing a lot of personal work three or four years ago. And, um, to be truthful and honest with you, I was having a high degree of angst around her personal development. Mm. And I was consciously and unconsciously just throwing handfuls of monkey wrenches at her process. And I didn't know why I didn't understand it. Looking back from where I am now to that place where I was, I had a a deep sense of inadequacy. I had deep pain in in my soul, in my heart, in my system. And it was like a, it was like a a competition. I couldn't win. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way to get there. And I started, it started really eroding the foundations of our relationship. I've always been a very cut and dry, you know, you do the steps and you make it to the goal. And then you set your goal and you do the steps again and boom, boom, boom. It's just this, this series of events. Um, whereas my wife is and has been 
much more just just natively in in tune to the flow of life and the flow of self exploration and the easefulness that comes from not hyper focusing on every single little thing that you have to do you know i'm like i've lived in the rabbit hole and i thought i was comfortable in the rabbit hole and i thought i knew how to be in the rabbit hole but i was in a hole i was in a deep dark place that i couldn't see completely and as hard as i scrambled as 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 much as i tried to see the full picture i really didn't want to leave because it was safe and i thought i i thought i knew my way around um and i really didn't so there was a lot of animosity a lot of jealousy that i had I, that i didn't i didn't even know what it was then you know looking back um it was annoying to me honestly and she's very much into the astrological functions of our universe and how that plays into our lives as humans on earth and to me i was just like yeah smoke and mirrors it doesn't mean anything um and frankly i just got sick of hearing about it and i would just tune out man just completely tune out and she was trying to connect with me man she was like really trying to lift me up she was reaching her hand down into the rabbit hole and trying to pull me out of this and i wouldn't take it i just slap it away like i don't need that i'm fine where i am i got this down here actually me being down here is providing everything out there for you so just leave me alone just leave me alone i'm good enjoy your life enjoy the freedom that you have because i'm in here doing all this work i'm in the trenches i'm rah, 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 whatever whatever bullshit i was telling myself at the time um so long story long here five six years later i finally scrambled out of the rabbit hole i'm fine i feel like i'm finally seeing life and the potential of the human experience hmm. um i certainly don't have a full picture but i feel like my peripheral is expanding i'm not looking at life through a, a pipe anymore you know and that's how i that's how i was looking at life i was i had one eye closed and i had a pipe up to the other eye and i was just seeing what was right in front of me and there's all this beauty and all this potential in the periphery you know and when you focus so far ahead you miss all these golden opportunities that are just right there next to you. And all you have to do is just turn and see them for what they are. But I was so focused out in the future that I was missing all these beautiful treasures in the close periphery. And uh, something that my wife is very good at seeing. She's very good at not planning and ending up precisely where she needs to be <laughs> and so I've, I've 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 learned a lot of lessons from her now that i've opened myself to to acceptance of those lessons so what's one it's of been a it's biggest lessons what's one of those biggest lessons that she's taught you 
finding joy in the spaces between what you have to do. Finding joy and finding fulfillment in the quiet times in between all the things that pop up in life. Even if it's 30 seconds here, 90 seconds here, whatever. Just being really able to like sink into that and, and be present and, and understand that those spaces in between the things we have to do is where we can drop in and really get the real stuff done, really be there for ourselves, really drop into that conversation within ourselves that can get drowned out by the rest of everything else going on around you. And it's interesting during this, this COVID time, I think a lot of people are finding that space and finding that time to consider themselves and drop into that conversation within themselves and find their creativity, find the strength that they didn't even know was there, find the weaknesses that they've been ignoring and working on those. Um, there's been a, so much amazing creativity that's come out of this very interesting time that we've all been navigating together. That just the reality of the you know interconnectivity, global interconnectivity that's at play right now, um, for better or worse. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of bullshit out there, but there's also so many people that are like stepping into their power and stepping into their gifts because they finally have the time to like sit with themselves. They're being forced, literally being told to not leave their homes, to not interact with other people and to drop in with themselves. Maybe not being told to drop in with themselves, but that, that has been the effect of this unprecedented pause, this global pause that's been you know, thrust upon us via the, what I call the COVID paradigm, which is, Whatever the truth of the matter is, it's this environment that where we are all in right now, that we're all being forced to consider and live in. So there's just an unprecedented amount of unprecedented amount of personal time at play right now. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, a huge lesson I've learned is to quiet my mind and get good at doing it quick. Not having to like have the perfect place and the perfect candle and the crystal set out and the awesome music going and that, that, all these things that people think they need to just like sit with themselves. Like, nah, man, you can sit with yourself in traffic. Just choose to not obsess on all the other stuff going on around you and be present in life and be present for yourself, you know? Yeah. What was She's your, really good at that. What was your <laughs> uh, first experiential event, the one in Hawaii? Like, how was it for you? Like, what was it like for you? It was, it was really amazing. Um, you know, I, I come from a, you know, an, a, an abusive childhood um, at the hands of men. And um, 
I was before that time, I'd never really let my guard completely down. I never allowed myself to be as an adult, completely vulnerable and honest around other men. And it was massively enriching and transformative. And that first day where we went for the walk with Shims, you know, the first evening Shims had kind of lined out what we were going to do for the next day. He's like, Hey, I'm going to take you to a really power, take you guys to a really powerful place. Um, what we're going to do in the morning is we're going to get up. We're going to go through our morning routine in silence. And I don't want anybody to talk until we get to where we're going. And to me as like a talker and somebody who likes to engage, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Man? What do you mean? I, I can't have coffee and like talk to these guys. Like I just met them like literally eight hours ago. And like, I, you're, I can't connect with them. And so that was my, my, my internal like conversation. I'm like, what am I doing here, man? Like, Oh, here we go. This is going to get weird. Um, and before we left on that walk, he gave us a task and he said, I want you to consider this journey from where we were to where we're going as the journey to your death. This is the last time you'll be walking on this earth. And I decided to really drop into that, to really be vulnerable and allow myself to fully consider the ramifications of that exercise. And I thought it was going to be maybe a five minute walk. It wasn't a five minute walk. It was like a 45 minute walk. You know, it was, it was, you were there. Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, and um, where he took us was to a cow pasture on the, you know, big island of Hawaii to a tree where cows had been going to die for generations. And when I got there, I, I, I finally understood life ends. And when I arrived there, just this, uh, something clicked inside of me. It's like, holy shit, like this, no, this work is real. This, is, this was a profound experience that can be had in an hour of one's life, just one hour. And it changed my life. Mm -hmm. It changed my perspective. It, it changed how I walk through my life as a human. Um, because at the end of the day, this is a journey to the end. We will take our last breath one day. This walk as a human on earth is a walk to your end or to an end of this experience anyway. And that's really what I took from that first day. It was like, holy crap, my whole life is this walk. My whole life is an, is an embodiment of this 45 minute experience. And then the flip side of that, on our way back to where we were staying from this place of death, Shems instructed us to consider this walk as walking 
back into your life. So it's the polarity of living and dying simultaneously as a human. Mm. If you don't mind and, sharing, what, what did you guys talk about in the bottom of the pit? I'm curious because I was checked out during that time. And here, here's why. I was dealing with my whole Viking and English like love and war like stuff. And I was like crying. And there was a part of me because I'm, I, I'm a giver. I'm like, fuck, I want to go support Nick and I want to be part of the thing. But I was like, fuck it. I came to this event for like fucking me. I'm going to show up and I'm going to play full out for me. And I'm going to be super fucking selfish. So I set that one out. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to have my own experience right now. So I'm curious what I missed out on because I don't know. <laughs> I, I was so like entranced by the experience, bro. I honestly, I didn't even realize that you had stepped away when we were under the tree. You stepped out of the circle. I did. I, well, you guys were like huddled up real close and where I was standing, I was, I had just like primal squatted and was just there yeah. processing my experience. Yeah. And, and okay. then kind of when I came me, to, I was like, okay, cool. We're, everybody's done now. Okay. So we did like a, like a, a ancestral lineage exercise where right. Shems asked us to, were you in on that? Where oh, yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're, we visualized our father's generation, yeah. 13 or 15 generations join us, you know, back from our right side and our mother's 13, 15 generations on right. our left side. So I was in that experience and that's where this whole Viking lineage came up because they were like mm. there and there was like this like war and rape and pillage and chaos. And then on my left side, my mom's was like English and Irish and love and mm. harmony and unity. And like within me, I was experiencing this duality, this dichotomy of like war. No, we got to like love on people and keep things in order and harmony. War! And it was just like right. that whole tension that was going on within me. And my dad had joined me, even though my dad had not, uh, he hasn't died, like he's still alive. Uh, but he was there. And like, so I was processing like his apathy and understanding that whole dichotomy that I experienced lived within him and how I was judging him for his apathy when he was just like me with the same fucking war going on within him who's like, well, I do want to, I don't want to hurt anybody, but there's this part of me and fuck, I don't know how to do this and channel and transmute all of this like chaos into like power into, into a force for love. So I'm just going to shut down and be apathetic because that's the most loving thing I can do because I, I don't know how to do anything. I haven't done any of this work. So I have like a whole new level of appreciation and healing uh, with him in that, that moment too. And then with myself. So that's what, I, that was part of the journey I was going with. On. Mm. You know, Shems was asking us to, we all picked up bones at one point. Okay. I remember. Okay. And he was just, he was asking us to really connect with the finite reality of our lives. Mm. And within that, at least for me, it was a catalyst for my own internal process of questioning, like, what, what am I doing? Awesome. What, what, what is the impact? What is the, the legacy as I'm standing here with my embodied ancestors? 
where do I fit into and what is my responsibility to that lineage? Mm. Awesome. What can I take forward that will empower the ones that come after me to make a positive impact with their time that they have, with the finite time that they have, looking forward to my daughter, looking forward to my son, looking forward to their children and their children's children and projecting myself out, projecting my influence and my, my presence out into the infinite future that exists and connecting with that and then bringing it back. You're like, okay, well, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do in the next five minutes? What are you going to do in the next 90 seconds to move into that responsibility? Hmm. You know, and what can you leave behind? Yeah. What, what are the lessons you can take and process and leave? Mine were a multi-generational history of abuse in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my mother was raised by a World War II veteran. Um, a, a, a whole generation of untreated PTSD victims, in, in my opinion. A whole generation that saw this the worst of human nature. And then we're basically told to come back home, buy a house, start a business, go to work and raise your kids. Good luck guys. You know, just forget about all that stuff. And what it, what ended up happening is a successive generation that were exposed to pretty, intense levels of psychological abuse and emotional abuse and a whole generation of parents that were fathers mainly that were emotionally unavailable because they had survived the worst of human experiences war and their parents my grandparents' parents, you know, post-industrial revolution, or not post, but pre and post and industrial revolution, depending on, you know, where in the spectrum I, I have older parents. Um, so, you know, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they, they were in World War I. So two solid generations of intense warfare survivors, that's our, that, that, those were our teachers, man. So when you think about it, and, and we like mental health was not a thing then. Like you either made it or you didn't. And there wasn't really any safety net there for you. There were institutions yeah. where you got put away. Um, so there's a lot of lessons that were learned and a lot of a lot of inherited hurt a lot of inherited damage a lot of inherited um 
trauma that gets inherited by the next generation. So learning how to identify that damage and that trauma and not carry it with you forward and, 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 and have it be a legacy for your children, my children, your children. To me, that's like the biggest gift that I can give my children is breaking the traumatic inheritance cycle. And that's, you know, it's the inheritance cycle thing is, is, is kind of a cliche these, these days, but I find it to be a very good fuel to drive my process and drive my progress as somebody who's trying to change the way that I teach my children change the way that I impact the world around me and the people around me. Nobody's perfect. I fuck up every day, you know? (laughs) Yeah, man. And it's, it's just, it's, it's part of being a human. It's part of being a father and those little, those little fuck ups, you know, like those are the failures that I'm talking about when I'm talking about navigating my failures skillfully. I'm not talking about, crashing my truck into some guy in the target parking lot and navigating that skillfully. I'm I'm talking about knowing when I'm stepping out of integrity with my family, knowing when I'm below the line with my family and having the ability or having the spaciousness in myself to be like, Ooh, Nick, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat you up for this, bud, but you're really, kind of stepping out of the light right now and you're getting dark and you're getting, you're getting aggressive. And this is, this is your, this is your grandfather's way of doing things. This is your father's way of doing things. This is the exact shit you hated when you were a six year old. Why are you doing this? What can you do different right now in the next 10 seconds? What can you do different? Because that next 10 seconds is going to have a massive impact on the next 10 years of your child's life. All those little 10 seconds compiled into a massive experience are gonna have a massive impact on your child's life and their perspective and how they process things and what and how what they take forward, the lessons they learn from you. Um, so when I talk about navigating failures, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Not so much business failures, not the meeting that didn't go well, you know, not, you know, having a, a, a few too many, you know, beers at, at a business lunch and maybe kind of getting a little too loose in a conversation, not those failures. Those are, those are easy to pick yourself up from. I'm talking about all the little 10 second increments that one has to navigate in their life and like what define what what's going to define those little segments of your experience as a success or as a failure awesome. um Thanks that's that's really yeah man that's that's really skillful navigation to me is the trimming of the sails, not so much the spinning of the wheel on the ship, but the trimming of the sail to get 
the maximum potential out of the wind that's behind you and filling your sails. Um, and because I'm a sailor, because I've spent my life on the water, those nautical examples are a way that I can take these complex ideas and and put them on the ground in front of me in a way that I can understand, you know. So good. So good. One last question, man, we'll bring this thing home. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some wisdom that would help him collapse time and get results faster, what would you tell him? Let me drop into this one a little bit. <laughs> I would say, Nick, don't focus so much on the gold stars. Don't base your sense of value on how you perceive others perceiving you. I don't, I tell myself this, I don't really have any business knowing what people think about me. That's none of my business. I don't belong in other people's heads. Just do the best I can, show up for my family, show up for the people I love. Don't be an asshole out in the world and things will generally work out. So just, I would tell him to don't take yourself so seriously. Awesome. And <laughs> so again, I'm, I'm laughing because when you say don't be an asshole, it reminds me of this conversation my uncle, my brother had, we had gone fishing in Murfreesboro, Arkansas. We were going fly fishing for trout. Well, when we got there, they were generating a fuck ton of water because of the storms and we couldn't fish. Like it was just no fishing. <laughs> And we're there for three days. And so we're like, well, what are we going to do? And we're like, drink. What else are we going to do? Ah, <laughs> so yes. we, we went to the uh, liquor store. We grabbed some of our favorite scotch. And we just drink scotch. And that evening, we were just talking about life and just, just being with one another. It was a good time. And we had came up with the philosophy that would solve all problems for life. And it was very simple. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Don't be an it. asshole. <laughs> It's a great bumper sticker. You know, my, my dear, dear stepfather, Dennis Baker, an amazing man, really taught me how to be a man. He's been my stepfather for 25 years now. So at a really pivotal part of my life, I'm, I'm 41 years old. He's had two jobs, the United States Army and a sawmill. And he started at the very bottom, pulling what they call green chain on a sawmill, big, huge, heavy, wet pieces of wood they weigh several hundred pounds and you have to be really skillful to not destroy yourself handling these gigantic pieces of timber and um he retired as the superintendent of that mill after 40 years making solid six figures um this is a man who had a high school education but so much deep gold this man had such a rich life experience in this very what some would say very small container of a life dennis baker dad told me one day he said nick son i was about 17 years old chip on my shoulder a mile high nobody could tell me anything he said son if you go through your days meeting assholes 
chances are you're the asshole. Spotting and that has, that has stuck <laughs> with me. It, there is a, it's a rare day that goes by that I do not think of that, you know? Yeah. And when I feel the edginess coming up in my system around people, like, ooh, ooh okay, man, check yourself. Like, are mm. you being the asshole right now? Because <laughs> like, if you just go through life and all you meet are assholes, chances are you're the asshole. So, good. so don't be an asshole. <laughs> so, good. so dude, let's tell people about what you have going on. Is it fishvillage.com? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So fishvillage.com is a travel company that I run with a couple of really close friends, Mike Ponce and Robert Field. Um, Robert Field is um, the most popular YouTube personality in the space of extreme offshore kayak fishing so this guy goes out and he's literally hooking and, and landing multi-hundred pound fish from a what is basically a tupperware boat so a few years ago he and i got together with our friend mike ponce who's a southern california data analytics guru so he's doing his own thing and we kind of got together and we're like hey we all kayak fished and um, we got together and like, man, how awesome would it be if we could break people out of the box of their life via the framework of kayak fishing? And it just kind of a light went, a light bulb went off around us at the same time. Like each one of our heads, boom, big, big blaring light bulb. Like, oh my God, like not only could this be a really cool business, but it could provide us with the opportunity to travel the world together, fishing and developing these trips. So what we have is a, is a series of curated experiences, travel experiences facilitated within kayak fishing. So one of the things we do, for example, is we have a trip in New Zealand where we load nine kayaks, on a 45 foot ex cray fishing commercial fishing boat that's been completely gutted and rebuilt into what we call a mothership. And we take our clients out with the kayaks and we are out on the open ocean within between the coast of uh, the Northern Island of New Zealand and a group of islands called the Great Barrier Island Group. And we operate from this boat and we travel around on this large mothership. And then every morning we wake up at, you know, the butt crack of dawn and we go out and we fish these islands on these little plastic boats. And it is so much fun. Aside from the fishing, the camaraderie on the boat, the excitement that comes from travel and the excitement that comes from doing something you know not anybody else on the planet is doing that day at that time. We are the only people doing this. And that's really the model for our business is to have experiences and deliver experiences that are unique to our, our group, unique to our business, unique to our clients. We're not a trip aggregator. We're not like a you know, an orbit or a travelocity. Yeah. Um, all of our trips are specific to our company. They are not available anywhere else. 
and we put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into the experiences themselves. And what ends up happening is it becomes way more than a fishing trip, way more than a fishing trip. It becomes, it, we've built this community of people who have this fire for exploration and adventure, and it ends up opening this potential within them to where they're like, they'll go home and like quit the job that they hate because for some reason, one of our trips has inspired them to step out of the box, hmm. not just for fishing or kayaking or going on a trip to New Zealand, but like challenge themselves to do something different and do something that they never thought that they could do. So it's become this amazing culture of exploration and, and, and challenging yourself. And of course, the, you know, we're, we're traveling as a group. And so it's, it's become really a community and we never thought it was really going to be that, you know, and, it, and it's, it's become really deeply fulfilling to me as, as a business owner and as a partner to know that I'm not just giving people really cool fishing experiences. Like I'm, I'm like fundamentally changing the way people navigate through their lives. Mm. So that's what Fish Village has become. Fish Village has become a, a collection of experiences that challenge you to do something different. Awesome. So if you're listening to this and you want some type of outside-the-box experience, go check out fishvillage.com. I think you guys may enjoy it. Nick, brother, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your open heart. Thanks for your vulnerability. And uh, thanks for just being an awesome dude, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. And uh, yeah, it's been great just dropping in with you. And uh, I'm when I find myself in a, in, a, in a situation where I need to have some fire to like confront something in my life, I often think of you, my man. Mm, I really okay. do because you meet life with an intensity and a presence that we all can learn something from. And so I appreciate your presence. I appreciate your fire. I appreciate your aggressive drive to connect. Mm, thanks, man. Appreciate so, it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, bro. And uh, I know that Viking is alive and well in you. I can see it in your eyes. And it's awesome. been so great connecting. <laughs> awesome. Well, there you have it, my friend. The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Gaduas. That guy has so many incredible stories, and I always just enjoy sitting down and, and talking with him. And I really enjoyed how we got into the keys to navigating failures skillfully. It's such an important skill set to develop in this game of being a human being because one of the things that is absolutely certain is we will make mistakes. And you know, unfortunately, so many people don't really talk about the mistakes that they've made and how they've learned to navigate them. I mean, just think about this for a second. What if your own family members and close friends had enough courage to sit around a campfire and openly talk about the mistakes they've made? Like the, the affairs, the divorces, the arguments, the business investments, like whatever, like just mistakes, things that they've made, you know, happen, blunders, whatever, and more importantly, things that they've learned. So they can sit around and share wisdom to help you avoid those same mistakes or navigate your life effectively. Like I think personally, this would be amazing. And I believe it would help so many people collapse time and actually get like more life 
out of their own lives. You know, I can speak to this person. Like sometimes I feel like when I've made mistakes, I'm like, man, I bet my grandfather didn't make these mistakes. I bet so-and-so didn't make these mistakes. And yet if they would share openly some of their mistakes, like things I've learned as I become older that come to the light, come to the surface, I'm like, oh, whoa, they were a human too. <laughs> and a lot of some of that internal guilt and shame just kind of fades away. And I think that's the gift that we give people when we're openly sharing our mistakes and our failures and sharing how we overcome them. And it's really one thing I do my best to practice openly with my family and my close friends. Now, the thing is, is like the key is to being able to share openly. Now, the key to being able to share openly is to be able to really not like care what other people think about you. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's a tough thing to do. But the good news is that personal development is one of the things that help a person get to a place where they have nothing to prove or defend. Anyway, that's enough for my little ramble here. I hope this episode served you. If it inspired you in some way, I'd love to hear about it and know like what was your biggest takeaway. Simply take a screenshot of you listening on your device, post it over on your Instagram stories, and tag me at AJ Amix, A-J-A-M-Y-X over on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here. That's going to do it for this episode of the Anthony John Amix podcast. Until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to ajamex.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. Bye for now.